0: Turn to uh, Mark chapter 4, and we are in a series uh, entitled Discovering the Divine, and we've been looking at actual encounters that Jesus had with everyday people and learning about Jesus and about God through those encounters. How does God respond to an everyday person uh, when he or she has a problem in his or her life? Uh, I'm trying to, I, I, never mind. I was going to tell you a grammar thing, but it doesn't matter. Um, anyway, how, how, do, how does God respond? And we're learning about that. Well, a few weeks ago, I, got, I started thinking about a group of people that had multiple encounters with Jesus. Most of these encounters we're looking at, it's just one encounter. Like the woman who touched the hem of his garment, she may have, we don't know that she ever encountered Jesus again. But there was a group of people that had multiple encounters with Jesus, in essence, lived with him for three years. And that would be, of course, the disciples. So I've been thinking about that for a few weeks and thinking about the encounters that they had, what could we learn from those encounters. So we're still in the series Discovering the Divine, but we're going to probably take about four weeks and look at encounters that the disciples had and what they learned from their encounters with Jesus. And I planned this a few weeks ago and had no idea about Rita this weekend, obviously. But the, the, the uh, message that the Lord gave me for this weekend is entitled, The Stormy Disciples. And we're going to talk about how you go through a storm. And so the Lord obviously knew that it was for this weekend that that, uh, he wanted this message. Mark chapter 4, verse 35. On the same day, on the same day he's been teaching, when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. The as he was probably means that he was already in the boat a short ways out from the shore and teaching the multitude. And a great, and, and, and other little boats were also with him. A lot of people have never noticed there were other boats with him as well. And a great windstorm arose and the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. But he was in, now watch the picture of perfect peace here. The boat is sinking. Jesus was in the stern asleep on a pillow. I mean the Bible even wants us to know that he had a pillow. <laughs> I mean he, he's he's asleep. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? how is it that you have no faith? Notice fear and faith contrast in the same verse, and that happens a lot in the Bible. And they feared or they marveled exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Okay, here's the disciples. One of their encounters with Jesus, and it's They're in a boat, and they go through a storm. So what what can we learn from storms? That's what we want to talk about today. Number one, we want to talk about the predictability of storms, the predictability of storms. Now, I'm going to tell you something about myself that you probably don't know, but I can predict storms. I have the gift. I can predict storms. Now, I can't tell you when or where they're going to come. But I can tell you that they're coming. <laughs> if you live on planet Earth, you're going to go through storms. That's all there is to it. You're going to go through natural storms, and you're going to go through spiritual storms. Every one of us are going to go through storms. Let me, let me just put it this way. How many of you here have at some time in your life gone through a storm? Can I see your hand? Okay, that's about like the death rate, about 100%. All right, let me ask you this. How many of you would say you're going through a storm right now? Can I see your hand? Isn't that amazing? We go through storms. You are in, you're in one of three groups of people today. If you're here today, you are either in a storm now, just came out of a storm, or heading into a storm. <laughs> Some of you might say, that's not good news, Pastor. <laughs> There are storms. We've seen them. We've seen them in the natural. We see them in the spiritual. We all go through storms. And I want to show you something the Bible teaches about storms. Okay? Matthew 7, verse 24, Jesus said, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it did not fall. For it was founded on the rock. We might add to that, above sea level would also be good. <laughs> and I'm not in any way, in any way, if, you, if, if, if you're from Katrina, I'm not in any way making fun if your home was built below sea level. I want you to know that. I know the media did that some, but I'm not doing that. I'm simply saying that we can see what happens when a storm comes in uh, and homes are uh, below sea level. Verse 26, but everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain descended, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Are you familiar with this passage? You heard this passage before? Okay. I don't like it. I don't like this passage. Because I don't think that he should have said this. I, I, I wish he would have said something differently. Let me tell you what I wish Jesus would have said here. I think this would be better. I'll tell him when I get to heaven. I think it would be better... <laughs> If he had said this, I think it'd been better if he had said, whoever hears my words and does not do them, a storm is going to come and his house is going to fall. But whoever hears my words and does them, when the storm comes, it will go around him. That's what I think he should have said. That's what I wish he would have said, but he didn't say. Here's what we learned from this. If you build on sand, a storm is coming. If you build on rock, listen carefully, this is different. If you build on rock, a storm is coming. The storm is still coming. Do you notice that? The only difference is if you build on the rock, you make it through. That's what's great news. But the storm is still coming. If you're here today and you're a believer, the storm is coming. If you're an unbeliever, the storm is coming. If you hear the words of God and obey them, you're going to go through a storm. If you hear the words of God and disobey them, you're going to go through a storm. But the the point of this story is that storms are coming. There's nothing we can do about going through the storm other than build our house on the rock, so we can make it through the storm. Um, You know something we can learn from this story? Is that storms come even when Jesus is in the boat. See, I would, again, I wish the Bible would have said this, and it didn't, but I wish the Bible would say, if Jesus is in your boat, expect smooth sailing. (laughs) Wouldn't that be better? That's not what it says. The storm came even with Jesus in the boat, there was a storm. So here's my first point. I know it's not encouraging. But storms are coming. We are going to go through storms. This passage in Mark 4 doesn't teach us the probability of storms. It teaches us the certainty of storms. Even with Jesus in the boat and even if we're disciples and we're following Him. All right, here's the second thing we want to talk about. The potential of storms. The potential of storms. We've seen with the potential with Rita and especially with Katrina. Katrina being the largest storm to ever hit our continent. Our, our, the North America. The, it, it, according to the news, it displaced one million people, a storm. Now, so what's the potential of a storm? Well, the potential of a storm is to reveal our weakness. It revealed the weakness of the levees. It revealed the weakness of their system down there. It revealed all sorts of weaknesses in the natural, but it's the same with the spiritual. When you go through a storm, it has the potential to reveal whatever your weakness is. It has a potential to reveal whatever area of your life that you're not trusting God in. In this instance, it revealed fear with the disciples. Jesus knew there was a storm coming. He took them right through the middle of it. He had a choice, by the way. If, if you study where they were, if you, if you could look and see like a, a big, the Sea of Galilee here, they were on the southern part and going to, uh, they were on the southwestern part and going to the southeastern part, and they could have just walked around. Jesus, matter of fact, could have said, look at the sky, fellas, we're not going out tonight, uh, let's just camp here and go tomorrow. Why did he take them into the storm? He took them into the storm to reveal their fear, because he wanted to deal with their fear. Think about how many times Jesus had to deal with the disciples' fear. Just think about it. Just read the Gospels and see how many times Jesus said to the disciples, Why are you so fearful? As a matter of fact, you don't even have to just read the Gospels. Read the whole Bible. There is a phrase that you might not know, but the phrase, you'll, you'll catch it in a minute. There is a phrase that is repeated more in the Bible than any other phrase. It is the most common phrase that God says to man. You know what it is? Fear not. Why does he have to say it over and over and over again? Because fear is our greatest enemy. Every response that we make that is improper is based in fear. And so he takes these disciples through. Why? Because the storm has the potential to reveal fear in them. By the way, this is the only place in the Bible where it tells us Jesus was sleeping. Now we know he slept because we know he was human. But this is the only place where the Bible actually tells us he was sleeping. He is completely unconcerned about the storm. And he did not take the disciples in to a storm to sink them. He took them into a storm to save them. It's totally different. But they finally woke him up. Now, here's something to think about. How long did it take for them to wake him up? They did not wake him up until they thought they were going under, by the way. They were completely frantic when they woke him up. They said, remember what they said to? They said, said, we want you to know two things. We're waking you up to tell you two things. Number one, we're dying. Number two, you don't care. (laughs) You ever prayed a prayer like that? (laughs) Just want you to know I'm going under and that you don't care. That's what they said. And by the way, Jesus never rebuked them for waking him up. He rebuked them for their fear. I'm going to make a statement here. I'll probably have to go back. It's one of those real smart statements that God gives me, but I'm not smart enough to come up with. If you want to write, if you write, take notes, you might want to write this down. You could think about this for a long time. He did not rebuke them for disturbing him with their prayers. He rebuked them for disturbing themselves with their fears. I'm going to say it again because you didn't say, wow. He did not rebuke them for disturbing him with their prayers. He rebuked them for disturbing themselves with their fear. Thank you. (laughs) Do you know why fear offends God? you know why God gets so upset over fear? If you watch Jesus, he's moving in such compassion and kindness. And it seems like when he gets upset... Is when there's fear. You know why? Let me tell you why. Because fear is an, is an indictment on the character of God. Let me say it another way fear is the greatest insult that a believer can give God. I'm gonna say that one again. And, and if you don't, you don't have to say wow, but you better think wow. This is a, an incredible statement. Fear is the greatest insult that a, thank you. Fear is the greatest insult that a believer can give God. Greatest insult. Think about it. This is what fear says. Fear says we're dying and you can't do anything about it. And furthermore, you don't even want to. And that's what we continue to see in all of these encounters with God. If you can do something about it or if you would like to help us, would you please do something? And in every instance, Jesus says, I can and I want to. And here's what these disciples did. They come to Jesus and they said, listen, we we are so upset here, but we want you to know we're dying and you don't care. Do you you realize they didn't even ask him to do anything? When they woke him up, they didn't say, listen, we've seen you raise the dead and we've seen you open blind eyes. Can you do anything about this? They didn't even ask him. They assumed that he couldn't. They assumed that because the waves were over their heads, the waves were also over his head. And there are no waves. Matter of fact, when you look at when Peter and walked on the water, and when Jesus walked on the water, there was a storm going on then too. And you can remember this right here: the same waves that were over the disciples' heads were under the master's feet. Same waves. Man, I'm preaching good today. This is good. <laughs> I don't know where I am in my notes, but I'm doing great. Wow. Is it possible that God, when he calmed it, it says that the wind stopped and there was a great calm. Is it possible, though, that the storm was still going on around them? Now, we don't know. But is it possible? You know how you walk outside and you can see a storm a long ways off? And you can see the lightning and all the stuff? Is it possible that the storm was still going on But where they were, Jesus spoke calm into the situation. And here's the reason I'm asking that. Is it possible for us to have peace in the midst of the storm? Sure it is. I was going through a storm a while back, and I was talking to this believer, a a friend. Uh, Well, when I say a friend, I I just met him. That's what I want you to know. He was a believer in the Lord, and I had just met him, and I was talking to him about this storm I was going through. And he said to me, you know, Robert, what you ought to ask yourself uh, you're talking about this storm and how to get this storm to go away. What you ought to ask yourself is why did God allow this storm in your life? And he said, I've only met you for a little while and I can already tell you. said, because you still have fear. And God wants you to do something for him, but you can't do what he wants you to do until he takes care of this fear in your life. Now think about this, before I ever even thought about preaching on this, two weeks ago in my quiet time, I read this passage in my quiet time, wasn't even thinking about preaching on it, and the Lord gave me this little saying, and I wrote it down, and I told the senior staff that day, should we thank God for the storm that causes us to wake the master up? That's what the Lord spoke to me two weeks ago in my quiet time. Should we thank God for the storm that causes us to wake the master up? Could we have peace in the midst of the storm? Sure we could. Why? Because we know who the Lord of the storm is, who the one that's over the storm. All right, here's the last thing I want to show you in this passage, the purpose of storms. What's the purpose of the storm? Why didn't Jesus go around the lake, the sea, instead of going across it when he knew a storm was coming? Why, why didn't he say, let's camp out? Let's not go. Let's wait a while. Why didn't he do that? Why did he take his disciples right into the middle? What was the purpose of the storm? The purpose is to drive us to God. The purpose of every storm is for us to realize this is bigger than I am. This is much larger than I am. And the only way that I'm going to get through this is by turning to God. Let me show you a scripture and let me preface it with these remarks. First Chronicles, the first nine chapters of First Chronicles are genealogies. Um... You know, it's kind of, they're, they're sort of like, they say the family of, the family of, the family of. They're a little bit like Matthew and Luke. Uh, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot, so-and-so begot. You know, I heard a pastor say one time, I was reading the begots and pretty soon I begot tired. <laughs> Think about if you're reading through the Bible in a year and you come to First Chronicles. And you're reading a chapter, or three chapters a day is what you do if you gonna read through it in a year. You're reading three chapters a day. Well, you've got three days of just genealogies. This is probably where you fudge when you're reading through the Bible. But in the first nine chapters are these little nuggets. And I think God put them in there just to see if you'd read the genealogies. There's some really good nuggets in there. For instance, I'll name one that all of you know about. In 1 Chronicles chapter 4, there is the prayer of a person named Jabez. It's in the middle of nine chapters of genealogies and it's two verses. Just a a wonderful nugget. Well, 1 Chronicles 5 has a nugget as well. Let me show it to you. Verse 18. The sons of Reuben, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh had 44,760 valiant men, men able to bear shield and sword to shoot with the bow and skillful in war who went to war. They made war with the Hagrites Jeter, Naphesh, nobody in the Bible ever fought Jim or Bob, by the way, <laughs> and Nodab. And they were helped against them. This is important. This, watch this. They were helped against them, and the Hagrites were delivered into their hand, and all who were with them, for they cried out to God in the battle. He heeded their prayer because they put their trust in him. Now, the Bible wants to tell us explicitly that these weren't just 44,760 regular guys. These were 44,760 men of war. They were valiant. They were able. they They were men of skill. They were skillful. They were men of valor, ability, and skill. That's what the Bible tells us. The Bible wants us to know for sure that we're not talking about just farmers here. These were warriors. These were great guys in the art of war. But the Bible makes sure that also the credit for the victory of this battle went to God rather than their valor, their skill, or their ability. Why? Because they cried out to God. Is it possible that the battle, that God allowed the battle to be just above their skill level (laughs) so they would cry out to God and God would get the victory? God would get the glory for it. Is it possible that he allowed the storm to be just above the disciples' ability? You, you understand, most of the disciples were fishermen, not all. But the majority of them were fishermen. Do you, you realize that fishermen know, know how to go through storms? They're, you know, I'm, I'm a boater, but I'm a recreational boater. I, I, I don't do it for a living. I don't go out on the ocean and and try to make my living at it, and have to battle through storms. These guys were commercial fishermen. If anyone knows how to take a boat through a storm, they, they knew how. And this was a storm that was so bad, they thought they were going to die. And they're experienced. Is it possible that God caused that storm, or allowed that storm, to be just beyond their ability, so they'd have to cry out to God, and so that God would get the glory for it? Now, here's the other question. Is it possible that the storm that you're in right now, God has allowed it to be just a little bit beyond your ability (laughs) so that you will cry out to him and so that he'll get the glory? Let me give you, you can write them down if you want, but three purposes for this storm. And I'm just going to tell them to you. I'm not going to elaborate on them. I think he took the disciples through this storm for the defeat of their fear, the defeat of their fear, The increase of their faith and the glory of their Lord. And if you look at it, all three of those things happen. The defeat of their fear, the increase of their faith, and the glory of their Lord. Everything we do on this earth, God should get the glory for it. Where is the glory if we walk in fear? As believers, where is the glory that we're going to give God if we walk in fear over things? So let me tell you the best thing you can do in a storm, all right? Here's the best thing you can do worship that's the best you know why because it gets your focus off the storm on to god on the one it should be on uh i was um flying one time with a guy and it was a private plane and so i was sitting in the co-pilot seat he was in the pilot seat and we went into a storm and we were flying into bad weather and I remember, I mean, I was getting a little bit, you know, asking all these questions. I was asking, what about this? What, about, what are we going to do? What are we do? You know, and he was trying to focus. And all of a sudden, he started tapping on one of the gauges and said, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. I said, what, what are you doing? He said, uh, man, we're in trouble. If that gauge is right, we're, we're in trouble. He said, I need you to pray for the oil pressure. So I said, okay. So I start praying for the oil pressure. We get through the storm and we land. And I said, Man, God did a miracle, didn't He? Because that oil pressure, you know, stayed okay. He said, Oh, well, that gauge didn't the oil pressure. I just wanted to get your mind off the storm. <laughs> he said, I was trying to focus and you wouldn't shut up. <laughs> so that was the only thing I could think of. But here's what he did. He got my mind off the storm onto God. Because I started praying and I started worshiping God and I started telling God, God, you're over this situation and you can handle this situation and you can take care of this situation. That's what worship does. When I was going through this storm that I was telling you about personally, I asked the Lord for some scripture. You'd, obviously, you have to get in the word. You have to pray, get in the word, worship. Those are the three foundations of the Christian walk, prayer, worship, and the word. So I'm getting the word, and I say, Lord, give me some scripture, please. Well, he leads me to two chapters. There are some verses in those chapters that just stand right out to me. It's like he wrote them just for me. You ever, read, you ever had the Bible do that to you? Uh, that's for me. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. But there were verses all around them, these verses that I was looking at, about singing. And I didn't really relate it to the situation. And then later, after God had spoken these verses to me... My mind was just flooded with thoughts. Well, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if? You ever had a flood of thoughts like that from the enemy? All these thoughts. And I thought, God, I'm trying to take authority over my thoughts. I'm trying to take my thoughts captive, but I don't know what to do. And just like that, it came to me, and I felt like the Lord said, you know, I gave you two chapters, and you're just picking out these verses. But most of those chapters deal with singing, and here's what I want you to do, Robert. I want you to sing. If you want to take your thoughts captive and get your mind off of what the enemies tell you and get your mind on what God can do in this situation, I want you to worship me. One of the verses was Isaiah 54 where it said, To the barren woman, sing, O barren woman. You know what he's saying? Before you get pregnant, if you want to get pregnant, worship me. Before it happens. In other words, before the storm stops, worship me in the midst of the storm. And so I started singing, and I felt such a peace and such a joy come over me. And I was actually on my way out to the garage to get something out of a car. And when I got out to the garage, I felt so much peace and so much joy. I I shouldn't tell you this, but I'm going to tell you what I did. I danced a jig in the garage. I just got so excited, and I said to God, Thank you, thank you, thank you that I've got peace in the midst of the storm. The storm hasn't gone away, but the fear has gone away. And when the fear leaves, that's a great thing to rejoice about. Call out to God. These soldiers called out to God and He helped them in the battle. The disciples called out to God and He took care of the storm. If you're in a storm right now, call out to God. By the way, that's the answer for everything in life. Did you know that? I'm going to show you a scripture that some of you haven't ever applied it in another way. It does mean what it says, but I want you to think about it for others. Romans 10, 13. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, we need to call on the name of the Lord for salvation, but what about 20 years later? What about 30 years later? What about when our marriage is in trouble? What about when one of our kids, or we get a bad report from a doctor? What about calling on the name of the Lord then? Let's call on the name of the Lord now. And if you're in a storm, I'm telling you, There's a purpose for the storm. And that purpose is to get you to see your own weakness and to call on the name of the Lord. And he desires to defeat the fear that's in you. He desires to increase your faith and he desires to get glory from it.